0: It's time once again for another episode of Bar Talk Radio, brought to you in part by the United States Bartenders Guild, Atlanta Chapter, broadcasting live from the Pro Business Channel Studios in Atlanta and around the world. And now, please welcome your host, Anthony Porquez. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Bar Talk Radio. This is Anthony Porquez, uh, your host today uh, for the USBG. Uh, The purpose of this show is, as always, is to continue uh, the conversation about Atlanta beverage culture. Highlighting today is one of my favorite spirits, as uh, which is gin. We're going to talk gin today. So, uh, having a very special guest today, we have today uh, Jeff Curley from uh, Gin Lane, seventeen fifty one. And uh, today's topic is, is going to talk about history and trends of Jen and the truth about contract distilling in the spirits industry. So, Jim, welcome. Hey, all right. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So you got in. You had a, a long day. We talked about the yes, elevator, I, right? Uh, right? Yes. <laughs> you said it started
1: at 3 a.m.? 3.30 in the morning was the wake-up call. But wow. I'm feeling, I'm getting my, I think, my third wind yeah. at this time. Yeah. And where did
0: you come in from today? I
1: came in from New York. Okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, so I live in the Northeast. I live right outside of um, New York City. Um, That's great. Yeah. I'm a Northeaster, born and raised. Grew up, right outside Boston. So yeah, so you must
0: be enjoying the weather down here. A little bit oh more yeah, early. gosh,
1: tell me about yeah. it.
0: Yeah, well, that's great. Well, we're really fortunate to have you here, and we're really excited to talk about it because gin is one of my favorite categories because it's just got an awesome history, and there's so many different types of gin, and you can really find your place in it. And if you're like a, a history nerd like me, when it comes to cocktails, like just the story from you know going back to early like 1600s with using gin, uh, juniper and right. you know mold wine and yeah, yep. with monks and things to the, to Jennifer to Jen today like uh, can you talk a little bit about that about you know maybe like a brief history for our listeners of gin and kind of how it's evolved over the years?
1: Yeah 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 so you know gin is really the original flavored vodka um, <laughs> and I don't think most people think that or know that because what the vodka category is done with blueberry and blue raspberry and lemonade and tutti frutti and all these kind of crazy um, what you think an artificial flavor would be? Mm-hmm. Gin, because it was essentially flavored with herbs and spices, botanicals. I don't think you get that condra that it starts all with a grain neutral spirit. Right. Um, so yeah, so gin is essentially the first sort of riff on a on a on a, on a flavored vodka. Very very different than what I just mentioned. Um, yeah, and dates back to fifteen sixteen hundreds. You know, uh, the Dutch in Holland invented um, Genevieve or Geneva, mm-hmm. however you pronounce it, um, which is very similar to gin. Juniper is the dominant ingredient. Um, there's also other, uh, you know, other botanicals in there. The process of making uh, uh, Genevere versus gin is that is a malted process um, versus uh, a grain neutral spirit being distilled and. You know, heated up and rectified. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, you know, gin was sort of the Brits' answer to what the Dutch and Holland were doing. And literally, down to the name, I mean, gin is called gin because the English just took the beginning saying of Geneva right. or Genevere, yeah, mm-hmm. um, and kind of did their own thing to it. So, you know, in. I would say probably the early 1600s, Old Tom was the original English gin. And right. essentially, the Brits were taking um, a Genevere style spirit, or Genevere itself, mm-hmm. and in typical... It's very stereotypical, but it is true. The English love their sugar. All they did was just dump sugar right. into it to sweeten it up and to push the overt flavors of botanicals down... Mm-hmm. Um, So Old Tom, which is probably the least – has the least notoriety, especially here in the States, in terms of being – Old Tom's style was the first. Um, And from Old Tom is when the English began to kind of refine their palate a little bit, start to extract the sweetness out of it, and then get accustomed to a drier style,
0: which is Mm -hmm. London Dry. And we we owe the ATM system to Old Tom. Oh, yeah. Too. Yep, yep. So I think that's a really cool, like, history. Like, I like to – you know regale people with that little fact that hey you know like we have an ATM system because of gin exactly <laughs> right yeah yep, yeah yeah uh, if you if you know that's you know the story about yes. the old t- yeah you want to share that real quick for the listeners who don't know because I think that's a great little story the old Well, basically, you know, like how, you know, the perception of drinking was really bad in England after, during the mother's ruin period. Yes. And and how basically we, you put in a coin into a cat, which they named old Tom, then out would come a little shot. Yes. And uh, this was the birth of like having a transaction. Yeah. made a transaction like that. Which was
1: essentially almost like a, you know, gin was in the mother's ruin period and sort of what. I'm kind of embracing, not so much the negativity of it, but that that period Mm -hmm. in time, gin was, there was no regulation. So the English government owned beer. They had taxed on it. They were making it. They had it completely restricted, regulated from down to the alcohol percentage in which beer was. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's what they obviously wanted their there people to drink because they could control it and mm-hmm. they could tax it. And then out of nowhere comes gin and gins being, you know, bathtub gin actually mm-hmm. was a real thing that was happening. Oh, yeah.
0: Everywhere, from what I understand. Like,
1: yeah. And there was no guidelines in, yeah. you know, Anthony could have Anthony's gin and he could be buying it from 15 different people, bottling it with the same label. And mm-hmm. it's a completely different. Product. It's a different. Somebody's using certain botanicals. Somebody's using other botanicals. So, um, yeah, no regulation at all. But yeah, back to old Tom. We call uh, we call a black cat in this in the states. uh, You know, uh, a stray cat, or and we look at it as kind of if a black cat crosses your path, it's bad luck. The English embrace the black black cat. So an old Tom, Tom cat, is something of good luck. So you're absolutely right. Back in the day, when drinking anything but beer was taboo um there would be this wooden placard which was this good luck cat which became the official sort of sign of a speakeasy so yeah you'd knock on a little door you'd give them your little pence out would come a little dram of gin it wasn't a drink there was no ice it was literally just straight gin it came in like a, you know like a like a a shot kind of format. Mm -hmm. You just slug it down, give them back the glass and be on your way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of the start (laughs) of the transaction, the start of, I guess, sort of the original speakeasies uh, kind of zigging and zagging and drinking where you really, when you really weren't supposed to.
0: That's great. So that being said, like let's talk a little bit about you and how you got involved in the industry and how that led to the creation of gin lane.
1: Yeah. So um, I, um, yeah, you know, I went to, to university for, for marketing communications, which was essentially a liberal arts degree at oh, a four-year yeah. school. What school did you go to? I went to school in uh, Colorado in Boulder. Okay. Yeah, nice. yep. Nice. It was purposely for me to get out of the east, uh, the northeast and ski mountains that weren't in the northeast. Oh, man. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I worked for a small marketing company there out of school and had uh, a couple liquor uh, brands as clients. Um UDV United Distillers and Vintners, which is now Diageo. So mm-hmm. um, it was like in the mid '90s, um, just doing sort of like event tactical marketing and whatnot. Okay. Then I moved. Then I moved back to east. Moved to New York City, um, and I met a Frenchman um, who had just launched Svedka vodka. And uh, he, for years, worked at. Uh, he was a, more of a marketing centric guy. Um, worked was for the, years. Um,
0: I have to ask: Was the the sexy robot his marketing? Idea. Yeah, it was. It was he and I's. <laughs> yeah. Um, Seriously. Yes. That's great.
1: Yeah. We hired the agency to help do it, and that whole crazy robot thing did exactly what it was supposed to do, right. which was be so outrageous and so off the wall, but oh. allow everyone to remember it. Just like that little old lady with where's mm. the beef and Wendy's. She wasn't trying to make Wendy's look sexy. Right. She wasn't trying to. She's not the official burger. You know maestro, but that visual and her voice and that commercial, so Svedka Girl, and that phrase that we coined, voted number one vodka of 2033, was mm. our way of kind of sticking it to the category where everyone's basing recipes on heritage and tradition and pictures of old men in potato fields, and right. we kind of looked at it, that's not vodka, vodka's fun and
0: light and sociable, so yeah. And Sveka blew up for Speca timing. blew up, yeah. In the what like mid nineties, I think. Yeah. Late late nineties. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. mid, mid to
1: late nineties. Um I started there um in two thousand one. And by two thousand six the brand hit a million cases in the US. Yeah. And then um Then they sold, right? And then they sold. And mm-hmm. I stayed on with the bigger company. And then I brought it to about four million cases uh five years later. And I wow. left. Yeah, then I left and dibbled and dabbed and a few other things and did some consulting and then um joined forces with a couple other guys, and then launched Gin Lane 1751. And I think it was probably a result of being a closet gin drinker working for a vodka company (laughs) where I had to drink so much copious amounts of vodka. Right. (laughs) Which is, as you know, in the industry, you kind of have to drink the Kool-Aid that you're promoting or marketing. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Luckily, I get to choose the Kool-Aid I drink. So <laughs> right. not, not all of us are so fortunate. But, <laughs> right, right. But yeah. Uh, but no, because like not many people know this, but I went to Boston University for advertising. So the advertising campaigns in the spirits industry is something that is always very fascinating to me. Yeah. But that, that was definitely a campaign that stood out. Uh, yes, it was. You know, and it's, uh, it definitely made, you know, now being on this side of the business and realizing what a big deal Svetka was. Yep back in that time. That's, and again, that's, that's a really cool yeah. story. Yeah, and again, it was
1: infusing fun. And at the time, all mm-hmm. the advertising that you were seeing was very old and tight and just, again, historic. And vodka is not, there's no history to vodka other than mm-hmm. when it was invented. But there's no aged vodka. There's no, uh, there are more superior vodkas than others, but it's not the same type of cachet where barreling, aging, fermenting doing things to mm-hmm. vodka really makes that big of a difference i mean right. vodka most people most consumers drink vodka and they prefer a vodka that doesn't taste smell or look like anything
0: right yeah yeah so yeah. um well that's a great point and um so let's let's talk about the brand let's yeah talk about how so tell us about you know gin lane and what your whole yeah you know, so strategy behind
1: it yeah and i am you know i'm my partner uh uh, carl and i um you know our idea we started to see and it it it, it's it happened and it is happening um earlier than it it is happening in the states so in Mm -hmm. the uk about six years ago there was this resurgence of 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 gin and obviously the, the english and you know Scottish and Irish, they've been drinking gin for a long time, longer mm-hmm. than us here in the States. Um, so that it's always indexed pretty high. I mean, if people typically drink that. Mm-hmm. Um, but five, six, seven years ago, was there was this resurgence of new brands, quote-unquote craft or small batch or artisanal, whatever kind of the adjective is. Um, and it sl- it slowly took on and then completely exploded. So what we have here in the States with um, craft distillers of different types of spirits, obviously stuff that's kind of come from here, you know, bourbon, whiskey, um, is sort of on fire, and you see many more distilleries popping up. Um, over there, it started to happen with gin. Mm-hmm. Um, and what what we were noticing was that a lot of the new gins were walking away from that traditional style and when i say traditional style i'm talking predominantly london dry right um
0: i think hendrix was such a big deal when it first came out and i think that revitalized the category yeah here you know especially when i was bartending it that definitely got people yep back into gin
1: yeah Mm -hmm. and you know now you'll see loads of gins that are using Un they're not modern. I would say more untraditional botanicals, lemongrass, hibiscus, rose petal, cucumber essence, like Mm. a Hendrix. So there are these botanicals that may have been around back in the day, but just weren't widely accessible. They Mm. were probably very specific to a certain geographic area, uh, you know, across the world. Um, So the idea that we had, which, you know, gin lane, 1751 is really kind of celebrating the historic roots of gin. So, With a lot of these new gins that are kind of Hendrixizing the category in terms of expanding outside from what um, traditionally the style of gin and, and the different kind of nuances and taste profiles, we decided to kind of embrace it mm-hmm. and thought that, hey, maybe that could be our angle and celebrate this spirit that we believe is a beautiful and wonderful in its unadulterated state. Um, so and,
0: obviously you like Jen, but you are also looking. Hey, these are the trends that's happening in the in the UK, in yes, Great Britain, yep. And then obviously these trends are going to float over here. So you were kind of projecting, right? Because how old is this brand?
1: This brand, um, this brand was launched in uh, summer of 2015 in the UK and okay. the um, August of 2016 here in the states. Okay, yeah. So we're so
0: you, start, you, you started out in the UK market and then came here. Yes, and, yep, yeah,
1: yeah, and that was. Primarily twofold. A, we were ready, based on the red tape that we have to do here in the States with TTB and label and formula approvals and mm. state registrations and whatnot. Um, and secondly, I felt it was important to have the brand alive and well and being sold in the country that it's from. Sure, Svedka. that was not the case when we launched it in mm. two real Swedish or world travelers who go to Sweden not seeing that brand after all the buzz it created in the States was kind of like, what's going on here? Is it really from Sweden? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so so that was sort of the strategy with launching there. Um, and, you know, everything from from the, the, the bottle shape to the label design to the recipe and the profile of the liquid is all supposed to embody Gin from the Victorian Times, yeah, I love the packaging, yeah, yeah thank you yeah. Great. yeah yeah um, so we use you know it's it's sort of the eight traditional botanicals that 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 go into it um, it's it's loosely based on recipes from yesteryear from you know what what a familiar style would be like in the 1700s. so it's not like this is based on you know my grandfather's recipe that he wrote down on the back of a scratch card.
0: Um, yeah, I'm getting antsy. Let's try something. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, <laughs> let's start off with one. Let's do it. Yeah, let's go with. Um, Rich, you, you, you want one? Sure. Yes. All right. Rich, our producer in the back.
1: Yep. Keep that producer happy. <laughs> yeah. So here, here you go. Yeah. So this first one up is this is the this, so this is this is the the regular London dry. Um, so what. This the style that's a little bit different and from, from other gins that are out there, um, say like a bee feeder that's obviously been around for quite some time, fifty plus years, it's you know, made in the city of London. Um England, it's 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 a a, a standard and tried and true London dry style. This London dry um, with gin lane has a bit more Star Nice. Okay. And star anise back in the day was the second botanical that you would taste. So obviously in order to be called gin, juniper has to be the dominant flavor, right? So anybody who has a gin out there, that juniper is not what pops first on -hmm. your taste buds. It really shouldn't be classified as a gin. Now there's aren't really that many regulations on, it has to be this percentage of your whole botanical kind of mash or meld together. Right. Um, but, yeah, it's clean. It's a great go-to. Um, it embodies everything that gin's supposed to, but it has a nice crisp citrus finish.
0: Love the texture on it. Yeah. 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 And these are based on Victorian recipes, is mm-hmm. that correct? Where did you get those recipes? Yeah, so this
1: is made at, uh, at Thames Distillers, and we worked with uh, the master distiller there, Charles Maxwell, kind of on the idea itself in terms of— And where are they? Um Distillers. Yeah, they're, they're in Clapham, Clapham, England. So, yeah, sure. Clapham's a neighborhood within London. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, he's an eighth-generation gin distiller. He is the gin guru in the industry. I mean, if there's one person in the gin-making industry, he definitely has um, – A lot, if not most, of the experience compared to others. He's an eighth-generation gin distiller, so his ancestor—he's got, I mean, gin's flowing through the guy's (laughs) veins. He's been making gin;
0: kind of knows what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, it's been
1: since the 1600s, since you know the gin acts, and since Mother's Ruin, and since Hogarth's Gin Lane. So he's got like his
0: great grandfather's recipes. Yeah,
1: and it's—you know what it is with him—it's—it's his palate and able to taste things that you and I wouldn't taste until we taste it again and say, Oh my gosh, now I taste that. He just has that very kind of laser focused where he can break apart the different botanicals that are in it and Mm -hmm. right off the cuff, know what needs to be adjusted to either make it smoother, push a little bit more citrus, push a little bit more earth tones from the orris root. Right. Um, Yeah. So he, so we kind of collaborated with him, told him our idea in terms of the style of something from from the Victorian times, you know. um,
0: So this is pretty much as close as we can get to what it was made back in the 1700s. Yes, exactly. Yep. yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. And, you know, we kind of came – we have a range. So we have a a London Dry, you know, which is the one that we just tasted, which is 80%, 80, 40% 80 proof. Mm -hmm. Then we have what what we call a Royal Strength, um, which is our Mm -hmm. own – It's our own kind of term. Uh, We were going to try to attempt to make a Navy strength, Mm -hmm. and we just could not get to something that was palatable. And it's kind of fun and quirky. Too boozy. Too boozy. And it's almost like Bacardi 151. It's kind of fun to float on a rum drink or, you know, dare your friend to take a shot or try a little bit. But it's very, very stigmatizing because there's just such the alcohol content without any flavoring or any botanicals or anything is just so intense. you need more there, Rich? Yeah. What do I have
0: next? Yeah. All right, great, yeah, let's, yeah, yeah. This is next yeah, Let's try this one. Yeah, let's now. try we're this. we're yeah. talking about it.
1: Yeah, so this is the Royal Strength. So this is 94 proof, which is a, a very common proof mm-hmm. um, that is out there. So, you know, Beefeater is 94. I think Tangare is probably uh, 88. Okay. Um, I don't think consumers really are wondering what they percentage of or alcohol content is in the bottle it's all about the profile and 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 how it tastes right so our royal strength is 94 um essentially it's the same process as as the 80 proof london dry it's just less diluted um but so you'd think that you'd be tasting something that would taste very very similar just a little bit more concentrated it's a different experience it's you get it's it's much more bold um You don't really get any much more of an alcohol burn. What you do is you get concentrated flavors and you get more of a spice finish than you do the citrus finish that you had on the 80 proof. So that's what that was the the biggest kind of difference in the two with the alcohol content being, you know, 7% more. Mm -hmm. The citrus coming out is a little bit more muted um
0: yeah i like that peppery yeah you know finish on there it kind of lingers it's a nice long finish on that too. i
1: mean i love big bold gins right. um and right. i typically drink just gin either on the rocks or as a martini um and the royal strength is kind of my style um in terms of big bowl you know holds in a cocktail with multiple ingredients um yeah. it's great just on its own um yeah, smooth. It's got a great, great sort of malt feel. It's obviously dry. It's yeah. it's that London dry style.
0: I want to talk about something real quick before we go into our big topic, which is talking about contract. Yeah. Something. But um, do you run into people a lot since you've worked with vodka? Mm-hmm. My experience as a bartender was I always felt like I had to, you know, promote gin to people and introduce them to it because it feels like people are like, you know, I'll drink vodka, and I like it like this, this, and this, but I don't want gin. Right. You know why do you think that is? Do you do you get that? Yeah, As you're like this this really big pushback against it. Why do you think that exists?
1: It's it, it's funny. It exists in a couple of categories. It exists in tequila too. Now tequila is a lot bigger of a category, and it's becoming more mainstream with brands like Patron and just the advertising, and it's just more of the drinking culture where it used to be. Oh my gosh, tequila has a worm in the bottle. It must be tainted. It must not be clean. It must not be properly distilled. I think gin has a bit of a stigma or what you were talking about a because of juniper itself so juniper the flavor of juniper is pine Mm -hmm. so it comes off it's very strong it's very stigmatizing and if you're just a person who doesn't like pine (laughs) you might not like gin it's like somebody who doesn't like ginger they can't have even a strand of ginger on a piece of uh, seafood or ginger powder or anything or ginger ale a little bit goes a long way yeah and it sticks with you right but, you know, my experience with gin when I was younger, and I didn't like the spirit as I became aged to drink, and what I found out, it wasn't the gin, it was the tonic. And I was at a bar where they were using tonic off of a gun that wasn't balanced right. It yeah. was a syrupy bag that was hooked up to a carbonated line. It probably wasn't clean. Sure. And I was getting this very bitter, sweet, fizzy flavor mm-hmm. mixed with gin. and. and what I determined, it was the tonic that I didn't like. Now, I do like tonic. I just didn't like the really <laughs> poor tonic that was coming off of a sports bar's gun. Yeah. See,
0: I, I had the theory of being a bartender, you know, for so many years. Uh, I had the theory that, you know, I like in gin, like sort of like breaking up with your first girlfriend. Right. You know, where the breakup is so bad. You know, like you got drunk so bad because it was the only thing in your dad's cabinet growing up as a kid. Right. And so that was probably the very first thing that you, that you drank and right. got hammered on. Right and then you got hurt so bad from it that first time that like you know that was the back. lasting memory right yeah. right and that's why i try to be like as yeah, like that 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 one that got away that first love who just beats you up so bad <laughs> <Right>. never again <laughs> right never again but yeah. anyway i just wanted to share that cuz that's that's always an interesting thing to me this this big yeah and scientifically oh, yeah, yeah. Gin, huh. right so. and
1: scientifically you know some people will say well gin gives me a bad hangover or gin makes me go crazy or gin makes me turn into it's all folklore there's no there's no facts to that
0: okay so just so we can get this into let's let's talk a little bit contract distilling so you know there's there is has been a perception over the years that people kind of like look down at people who don't make their own booze yes um is that still the case and and you're because you proudly tout that you do not distill this yourself no 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 uh however you know you you know is that stigma still there and is if so like, why is it there? Yeah. It, yeah. It's, yes.
1: It, it's great, and I'm glad that we're talking about this. So there is a stigma there. Now, I think the stigma is there because there are brands out there that secretly contract distill the and then claim that they're making that on their own. There's been a couple lawsuits with brands, and they're typically in the whiskey category. right? Um, and... That kind of has cast this shadow on everybody else, like myself, who's contracted distilling. I never wanted to be a distiller. I don't have that side of my brain. I don't have the expertise. My father was an English professor. My mother was a nurse. So I don't even have it in my genes to even be that type of crafty. Or um, We went to the expert. We went to, you know, like I said, one of the most notorious uh, gin distillers um, in the world. And I promote him. I promote his distillery. He's the man who made this happen for us. Mm-hmm. And he's got the
0: accolades and the, 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 you know, the resume to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're talking about MGP right. out there in Indiana, you know, and how, you know, they make... You, you mentioned that they're making their own brand stuff, which yeah. I wasn't even aware of. Yep. Um, but yeah, there's just, there's, it seems like, you know, the integrity part. You know, I don't think people m- mind as much anymore. Yeah. But as long as, like you are saying, you've got to be front about it, like Whistle Pig, right. you know, for instance. You, yep, like, you've you know?
1: got to be transparent. Yeah. You, you have to. And I think that in this day and age with internet and Google and social media and just the way that our minds work now, we want to know everything about a brand. And the minute right. that you try to tell me something that might be BS, Or might not be really yet. We're going to find out. And if we do find out, we're going to completely shun you forever. High West got that a little bit. Just because High West had a tasting room slash restaurant in Park City, Utah. If anyone knew the industry, there's no way that they could ever generate their whiskey out of that small little footprint. Mm -hmm. So they were buying it from MGP. They just weren't really disclosing to people on the back of their bottle. They were saying Park City, the air, the height, the elevation, the whole hoopla about that city in utah and that kind of cast a little bit of a negativity on them now their bourbon and their rye are phenomenal Mm -hmm. um and they've been able to source some really really great stuff now they're obviously building their distillery on their own and they're beginning to distill their own um uh bourbons and ryes yeah Yeah. and i think vodka yeah
0: yeah that's great yeah what anything else about contract distilling that that you like to share with your experience?
1: Yeah, I think for any brands out there that's contract is dealing, be transparent. You know, obviously, let them know, like I do with Gin Lane. This is my recipe that I created with 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 Charles Maxwell um, from the style and the, and, and the way that it is. But go to an expert if you want expert liquid. You know, you can try to do it on your own, but it's going to take a lot of time and effort unless you have the the wherewithal to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, so, any brands that are out there, not. Telling people the real story, you're better off telling the real story. And then for any consumers out there and people in the trade, don't cast a a, 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 a bad eye or, or turn away from a contract distilled brand. As long as they're telling you the truth and the reason why, MGP has phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal reserves of rye and bourbon. Mm-hmm. And they're one of the only places in the U.S. that actually do. Right. Um, so don't. I would love to get a bottle of MGP that hasn't been tainted by somebody blending it with other stuff so I can actually tr-
0: taste this tried and true 20 year rye bourbon that's sitting there. Yeah, that sounds um, like a deal. We should do that. Yeah. Well, let's go to Indiana Sounds good. Just like to sample someone day. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how can people find you in Gin Lane?
1: Yeah, so um website is uh www.ginlane1751.com. Um our social media handle is at ginlane1751. Um, we're obviously here uh, in uh, Atlanta and in you know uh, a bunch of cities across uh, the country, predominantly in the Northeast, but we're expanding. You know, as as weeks and days go by, um, it's a great, great retail price point. You know, part of my mission with this brand is not only to bring phenomenally quality traditional style mm. gins to the market, but also at a price point that isn't going to be a $40, 50 $60 connoisseur's bottle of gin. This yeah. gin is something that you can drink daily if that's what you do. Um, it's a special occasion gin as well, but it's not going to break the bank, and it's something that I want people to be able to enjoy. And this isn't some entry entry price point that I plan on jacking up later. The price is very much part of the ethos of the brand.
0: Right. And uh, you're, it's distributed through Prime. Uh, yeah. So just, yeah. If people ever want to go without, uh, get an idea of what it's like, uh, they can yep. get to their rep there. And uh, yeah, so uh, we also have an event today. Yes, we do. We're going to be at the consulate from four to seven, where uh, Jeff is going to be out and talking about gin, and we're going to have a couple of cocktails out there. Um, so, if all USBG members are more than welcome to come to that today and take advantage while Jeff is in town, and uh, a couple little announcements before we head out here. Uh, one uh, is the Patron TRT certification class is coming up, so that is going uh, to be online or Facebook page at the Atlanta Chapter USBG page. So definitely look into that. Uh, if you're into tequila and want to learn more about that, you will actually get a certification at the end of that, which is pretty cool. uh, Espelon, uh Cocktail Fights is coming up. So March 19th, we're going to be uh, going over to Birmingham to try to take back our title that Birmingham took from us last year. So uh, Atlanta, be sure to get ready for that. USBG Cocktail Classique, sponsored by Lucid. So we have a competition coming up uh, that deadline is going to be at 11:59 p.m. Pacific on February 23rd, 2018. That's get your entries in. Yeah, get them in. That's where that's Pacific time. But and then finally, Manhattan Experience, one of the best competitions that we have on our calendar on March 5th at Golden Eagle. Show up and support your contenders. So, but. uh that about does it for us here today. Great. Yeah, Jeff, thank you so much for hey, coming out. Hey, thanks for having me and all the really listeners great. out
1: there. Let's, uh, let's try to make gin great again. It yeah, was, absolutely. I love
0: know. gin. Like I said, I think it's, you have a great product here, and I'd love to see uh, you know people come out today and enjoy it as well at the, at the event. So Perfect. But uh, thank you guys so much for joining us for this episode of Bar Talk Radio. Big thank you again to Jeff Curley for being here, and this has been thanks. a great conversation today. Join us next time for another round of Bar Talk Radio Hope to see all of you soon. So, cheers, guys. Cheers. Thank you again for joining us and our guests on Bar Talk Radio. Use the social media links here to share today's show and stay tuned for the next episode of Bar Talk Radio. Brought to you in part by the United States Bartenders Guild Atlanta Chapter. Connect on Facebook at Atlanta USBG Chapter or visit USBG.org and check out more episodes at bartalkradio.org. 18 plus.